she's smiling. <laughs> Through the pain. So, hey, guess what? What? It's, it's Halloween week. Week and she likes I do like that part. It's Halloween week and it's a dark and stormy night out tonight as we're doing the podcast. It's not really stormy, it's more rainy, but yeah, I think we're, I don't think we're actually getting the. My name is Steve. <laughs> My name is Kim. Welcome to an hour of your life. And we're not going to talk about hammocks this week. No hammocks, sorry. Yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, anyway, weather, yeah, it's, yeah, the weather out there. I don't think we're actually getting the remnants of the hurricane. The latest. No, hurricane it's hit, too soon. I but think. It's, uh, yeah, we're we're just. I think that's going to be a lot of rain next week. Yeah, there's flood warnings and everything. Oh, out is for there? Our local, yeah, for our local area. I just so it's it's making me feel some kind of way. Uh, I'll be perfectly honest. I'm not feeling super great. Um, like all week, I've had a headache and a sore throat, um, and just felt kind of. Eh. And so it's it's weird because it's cold and flu season. It's the middle of a pandemic, and it's the change in seasons, which typically Steve can attest to. Um, I usually lose my voice for about a week in uh, the spring and Woo-hoo! fall. Spring and fall in Ohio, and I haven't lost it this year. Thank you so very much. It, it um, hasn't happened I'm this year, so I don't you know. Haven't lost it. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, if anyone coughs or sneezes, the quick question is like, "Do you have COVID? Co- COVID or a cough? What, COVID what or cold? Right we don't cough. Know. Yeah, and rain. No, we'll look, I we don't know don't what want, it is. We don't mean to make light of anything out there because you know, go back and listen to episode thirty-four, which was uh, the Spanish flu, and there's so many similarities. Not a yeah. doctor, but I mean, in my layman's terms, yeah, I mean. So many similarities right there. And there has been a lot of death from coronavirus, and we're really not trying to make light of it. But, you know, we're not making light of the people that have died or the people that are really suffering. But it is kind of annoying when it is just that season of getting ill in the first place. Like, normally everybody gets something, a little bug here or there during the fall. And now you have to add the worries of coronavirus on top of it. Yeah, I mean, everybody's... We've been doing this for so long right now. And, Seven months. And people are getting upset. They're getting tired. And so mm-hmm. in our, per- and that's how we deal with a lot of stuff, Kim and I, it's, we just have to we, I, we, laugh to keep from crying. We, yeah. We have to laugh to keep from crying, realizing that for many, many people, it's, it's a very serious thing out there. And we don't even pretend to make light of that. No. And because, you know, you know thank goodness you know, our home and all the homes of our families have been COVID free. Knock on wood. And knock on wood. Yeah. And we want to we want to try to keep it that serious. way. But you know, it's just we, we, we you know we, we everyone's got to do what they got to do. There's yeah. Um, before we go, there's there's people who um, that need some serious help out there with some serious mental help right now. And you know, let me let me just go ahead and and pass this number out real quick. The number that um, for for the the suicide hotline is 800-273-8255. Now, you know, a lot of stuff is happening right now. A lot of people are depressed. It's just coming on as we're losing light through the year. Oh, people yeah. Are, people are starting to get that type of depression. And just with everything that's been going on, I know, I know with us, there's been a little bit of added stress because, yeah. you know, we're worried about it because... If we can't go to work and, you know, we don't want to spread to anybody. And, also, you know, and we understand that 
there's you know a, about a ninety nine percent chance if you get it you're going to be fine. Right. But but also we don't want to spread it to anybody. Yeah, and I would like to do a PSA. This is this is starting out as a downer of an episode. Well, I promise this isn't going to last forever. But um, I. You know, I've made no secret of um, my issue, mental health issues of my own. Um, I have clinical depression and anxiety. And so during, it just, it doesn't mean that I'm unhappy per se. It just means that my body doesn't make enough serotonin, which is like the happy chemical. Um, but it gets especially bad during the, like what you were saying, during the winter time when you don't get the vitamin D too. So make sure that you're taking your vitamin D, kids, um, because you're not getting it from the sunshine. Also... Uh, it is an extra added stress for our family personally that I happen to work in a retail environment. And so be nice to the retail workers and the holiday, the people that are servicing you this holiday, whether it be wait staff at restaurants or retail workers, they are just people after all, and they are doing their very best to get you in and out and get what you need. Yeah. Don't be rude to them. These people are just doing what they're told to do. We're just trying to they're, do our jobs. They're, they're, they're telling you... They've been told, tell the customers, tell the people, wear your mask. Mm-hmm. You know, the people out there working, they don't want to lose their job nope. because of that. So just be kind, be considerate, and, you know, do the right thing right now. Whether you believe in it or not, it, you know, people are saying, well, once the election comes, you know, it's all going to go away. I personally don't believe that. I think we're about ready to go into round two, mm-hmm. uh, the, the second wave of this, and that's only because of the research that we did and it's it's not the exact thing, same thing as a Spanish yeah. flu, but viruses tend to behave in the same way. Yeah. Most viruses like this, but, but like, we're not. This show's not about coronavirus. No, it's not. It's not. So moving on. All right. Uh, I not to beat a dead horse. Oh, but with that number eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. If you think you need help, if you need to talk somebody. Talk to a friend. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Call that number. Call a friend. Don't try to uh, do anything alone right now. Yeah. Get some help if you need it. Just talk to somebody. It it can make the world a difference. Okay. So let's get on to this show. Spooky October. So tonight we are going to focus on a famous Halloween good guy couple. And I say that and yet there are skeptics out there who say that they're not a good guy couple, that they're a bunch of shysters. Um... I didn't know anything about them, but you, I'm not into this near as much as you are. Yeah. Um, so when oh. it comes to investigations, what? So Kim <laughs> is making me watch spooky movies every night. Some nights we're watching two yeah, we or three are. spooky movies a night. I got three in yesterday. And I just told her the month of November is old uh, war classic movies, the kind of movies I like. And I'm talking like the Guns of Navarone Kelly's Heroes, Where Eagles Dare, uh, those kind of movies. So payback is coming. That's all right. I'll do like you do and just sit on my phone the whole time. Yeah. No, anyway. Except during the scary parts. And I oh, cover whatever. My eyes. Anyway, when it comes to investigations of the paranormal kind, no two ghost hunters loom larger than Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, those of you who have any, are any kind of horror fan at all will recognize the name. Um, If you're not a horror fan, buckle up because you're about to learn. Um, If you are unfamiliar with the Warrens, I guarantee that you're familiar with some of the cases that they've investigated. From Amityville to Annabelle, Ed and Lorraine have been at some of the heart of the 20th century's spooky tales. 
Um, Although they were both born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, they didn't actually meet until they were teenagers. Ed was born in 1926, son to a devout Catholic parents. His dad was a state trooper, and the family lived in a big old house that was rented out by an unmarried landlady who disapproved of children and dogs. Um, So also, uh, we'll, we'll kind of briefly touch on it. Um, but like I said, the Warrens, uh, they, I don't want to say that they have a lot of criticism, even though they do. Um, there are some people that think that they did all of their work just to scam people. I do want to put it out there right up front that they never took a penny for any of their paranormal work. That's not how they made their money. They made money. Um, actually, Ed was a painter. He was an artist, and they made money doing book sales and things like that. But as far as charging the families of the people who they say that they have helped, they didn't charge them anything. I can guarantee they wouldn't make a dime off me. They wouldn't make a dime. They wouldn't ask to make a dime <laughs> off of you. Even if they did, they're not going to make a dime. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, so... Uh, when Ed's landlady passed away when he was just five, and then he alleges that he saw her in his bedroom closet a few days later, mean as ever. So he was seeing... Old mean Ed. Oh No, Ed's not mean. The landlady was mean. Oh, well, that old he, mean landlady. Yeah, Ed was just five. So he says that he's I been able to... I have seen some pretty mean five-year-olds. No, yeah, right. He says that he has been able to um, see spirits. He, he refers to himself as a demonologist. So he has studied a great amount of literature. Like I said, his family was devout Catholic, uh, which is kind of another thing. It seems like um, the Catholic faith seems to get a lot more of the hauntings and things and, and demonic possession than you hear about in a lot of other faiths. And I so don't know... the Baptists are not going to get possessed. No, I'm not saying that they're not going to, but you don't hear about it as much. You don't hear about Jews or Muslims or Baptists or Lutherans getting possessed. It's always the Catholic Church. And I don't know if there's something to that. If any of our uh, listeners are religious studies scholars or anything, or priests or pastors or whatever, I would love to hear your take on it because I, I often wonder if it's something to do with sort of the ritualism of Catholicism. There's a lot of... Um, I don't know. There's, I, I think the belief in the demonic is much more pure in the Catholic faith than some other faiths. I don't know. I know we're the, the hate mail we get from Michigan after last week's rant you did. Now we're going to be expecting <laughs> hate mail from all our Catholics. I'm, no, I'm not. I'm not saying it as a bad thing. I think that it is just a different approach to religion. I think in a lot of religions, there's more of an emphasis on, I don't know, I guess maybe the feel-good parts of the religion. But in Catholicism, I think that they, at least to me as a non-Catholic, it has always seemed like they are much more in touch with the opposite side of that coin than other faiths are. That you, In the same way that you can't have a heaven without a hell, I think a lot of other faiths kind of gloss over the hell part of it, but Catholics really kind of lean into it a little bit and say, this is what you are trying to avoid. You have been to Southern Baptist churches. And can I you have give me one been. favor right now? Could you tell the entire state of Michigan that you like the entire state of Michigan, please? I like... Uh, the UP is a great place. Okay, I like the entire state of Michigan. The people of Michigan can can be fine. 
Their, your roads suck. Not going to lie. Yeah, the roads weren't that great. Anyway, uh, so Ed, Ed Warren's dad had always told him that there was a logical explanation for him seeing the mean old dead landlady, but yet he never gave him a logical explanation. Uh, and so uh, Ed would choose to stay outside in freezing or rainy ro- weather rather than be in the house alone. One of his supernatural visitors also was a nun, his father's sister. Ed had expressed a desire to become a priest, but the nun told him that he would not. Rather, he would consult priests and would do more work than 100 of them. So says Ed Warren. The family moved out of that house when Ed was 12, but his love of the paranormal and desire to learn more about it had just been kindled and it continued to grow throughout his lifetime. Only three blocks away from that house, Lorraine Moran lived with her affluent Irish parents. She attended a Catholic girls' school, and it was there that she figured out that not everyone was clairvoyant like her. So Ed is a demonologist. Lorraine says that she's a clairvoyant, which means... What a couple. Right? Can you imagine? And they have a daughter, too. Uh, And we'll get into Judy a little bit later. Um, But a clairvoyant, for those of you who don't know what a clairvoyant is, uh, they are people who can see... Things in the spiritual realm is what they they say. There are two kind basic kinds of clairvoyance. There's a like a light clairvoyant and a sort of I forget what they call it. I don't know if it's called a heavy clairvoyant. But basically, as I understand it, um, the heavier clairvoyants are able to a spirit guide, which is basically some. I think we've talked about spirit guides on the show before. A spirit guide is basically oh yeah with Houdini we talked about spirit guides. And how a spirit guide is the spirit of a deceased person who then comes to visit the living. Uh, and usually they will inhabit a willing human, usually willing, sometimes I guess unwilling. And in a like a heavier clairvoyant, then will basically, it's almost like they go to sleep. And the, the spirit guide completely takes over their body. The clairvoyant doesn't remember anything that happens, has no idea what's going on. A light clairvoyant, which is what um, Lorraine Warren was, is they also can communicate, allegedly communicate with the, with the dead, with spirit guides. However, if Lorraine allows herself to be possessed, she is still present. She still knows everything that's going on. She is very aware her consciousness is not shut down uh, by this spirit that overtakes her. Um, so anyway, the year after Ed and his family had moved from their haunted house, Lorraine was at an Arbor Day tree planting ceremony with her school, and the 12-year-old girl told a nun that her lights, uh, which is what Lorraine called her aura, were brighter than the lights around the Mother Superior, and that she could see the sapling they had just planted as a full-grown tree. Now, the nuns considered her psychic ability to be sinful, and they packed her off to a weekend retreat of prayer and silence. That's like that movie we just watched. The, the uh, Yes, God, Yes? Yeah. Yeah, so we watched okay. a movie. It was not a horror movie. It was pr- actually pretty funny. It's called Yes, God, Yes. I think it's on Netflix. Um, it's pretty, pretty entertaining. Anyway, according to Lorraine, she... Uh, oh, sorry. Um, when, when she was 16, Ed met Lorraine at the movie theater where he was an usher and she went for a show with her mother every week. I think that's so sweet. She and her mom would go for a movie date every week. And when she was 16, according to her, she said she knew they were going to be married the first time they met and she never dated anybody else. 
Ed was her first, last, and only. That's sweet. No. Yeah. Why are you shaking your head? I think it's so nice. When Ed turned 17, he enlisted in the Navy and he served aboard a merchant marine vessel. And the pair married in 1945. When Ed was on leave, they had a daughter named Judy who was six months old before Ed was discharged. And Judy was their only child. Now, interestingly, Judy didn't live with her parents much growing up, but rather with her grandparents. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) She was not a fan of Ed and Lorraine's career choice, although she doesn't have any ill will towards them. She speaks very highly of both of her parents. She said she really had a lot of respect for them. She said she wouldn't have changed it for the world. She said they did... Yeah, a very important work. Can I go live with my grandparents, please? <laughs> she felt like they were doing very important work. Grandma's not weird. But it's just not for her. So. I, I, I'm with you, Judy. <laughs> After the war, Ed attended the Perry Art School, which was affiliated with Yale University, but he left to travel around New England painting landscapes and searching for haunted houses. And his paintings are actually really good. And that's how they made their money, as Ed was an artist. Oh, they weren't making a penny off any They of were not. Stuff. They were not. His travel around New England painting landscapes uh, was a favorite pastime to hear of a haunted house in communities, and then he would go paint a portrait of that house and give it to their owners. And as he painted, Ed began to gain the trust of the house's owners, and before long, Ed and Lorraine were learning more and more about the paranormal activities that were occurring in the homes that Ed would paint, And they began to notice that many of the homes had teenagers and young adults, which anybody who knows anything about the paranormal can attest that poltergeists like to attach themselves and are manifestations of the anger and angst that comes from teenagers. Like in The Exorcist. Mm, That was actually a demon, though. Poltergeists are different. They're not really a demon. They're just like a... There's another word for... Another word called a tulpa, which is basically you kind of almost will this energy into being a you manifest energy and it becomes a a thing like an actual object outside of yourself it's kind of complicated anyway ed started lecturing on the college circuit talking about the dangers of unwittingly inviting malevolent forces into student homes so don't play with ouija boards kids his artwork got noticed and the next thing you know ed's got an agent And so the Warrens amassed a large archive of detailed interviews and reports from afflicted families and from other investigators. They have photographs, audio and video recordings of paranormal activity, including voices of spirits. They have a literal museum of spirit-infested clothing, dolls, and other objects, and a bunch of letters of gratitude from government officials, clergy, and ordinary people for the couple's intervention in horrible unbelievably evil situations. I wonder if it's like the cryptid museum. I don't know. I, I really would like to go at some point, but we'll see. From, from Ed and Lorraine's research, they identified different types of spirits requiring different remedies, and they investigated abroad, which we'll talk about, as well as throughout America. Now, after an invitation to investigate a site, the Warrens would arrange a visit as quickly as possible, and then once at the site, they usually split up with Ed conducting a careful and thorough interview from everybody that's involved and Lorraine walking around the house to see whether she could kind of discern the spirit activity through her psychic senses. She usually detected spirit presence almost immediately Mm -hmm. and also knew whether the spirits were earthbound human ghosts or apparitions or if they were inhuman, demonic influences. 
so let's talk about some of these cases. Now, we're going to touch on one of the... So the Conjuring movies, if you guys know anything about those, those are... That's Ed and Lorraine Warren. Not yet, but maybe before uh, this month is over. And there are three Conjuring movies, and each one kind of focuses on a little bit different... Um, I've seen them all three, but Can we watch one tonight after this is over? After we record? Mm, sure. Okay. Uh, so each one is a different, kind of focuses on a different case. And we're going to discuss at least one of them tonight. We're not going to discuss the one that was at the Perrin house, uh, but I do have some information about that one at the end of the show. So anyway, let's talk about their cases. Well, maybe one of the most famous cases that the Warrens looked at was uh, Amityville. You've heard of that. Yeah, I've, I've actually seen that movie. Amityville so, Horror? Yeah. So about 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday, November 13th, 1974, a 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo entered Henry's Bar in Amityville, Long Island, New York, and declared, You've got to help me. I think my mother and father have been shot. So Now, a- okay, I'm going to stop you right there because I know how gruesome the Amityville murders were. And so the fact that he goes in and says, I think my mother and father were shot, it, there's no, like, they were very obviously dead, shot, like, murdered. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. So a small group of people went with him to 112 Ocean Avenue and found that Ron's parents had indeed been shot with a 35 caliber rifle at about 3 a.m. that day. Now... Also dead were Ron's sisters, Allison, who was 18, and Don, who was 13, and brothers Mark, 12, and John Matthew, 9 years old. Now, okay, tell me about a 35 caliber rifle, because I'm not a gun person, and you are a gun person. Or, I mean, you know about guns. So, what, is that a big rifle? Like, is that going to make a big hole? Yes, it would. And it's not necessarily the size of the bullet, but the velocity of how much power okay. that we go in there but roughly think of it you know, maybe just a little bit bigger than your pencil right there oh well, that doesn't yeah. seem like it's that big well bigger bigger than that but bigger than your pinky somewhere between the size of your pinky and the size of that pencil hmm. right okay. there okay so and all six family members were face down in their beds and ron who was sometimes known as butch was the only one left alive. Initially, he told police that he thought the family was killed by a mob hitman named Louis Finelli. But there were some inconsistencies in DeFeo's story. And like you said, you know, maybe maybe one of the things was, I think my family's been shot. When <laughs> yeah, I know, they've, they've been shot. Was. Okay. Well, I mean, it could have been Cujo going in there. I'm sure Cujo mm. left a lot of blood. So, I mean, we're talking about... Cujo like, left them all face down on their beds. Yeah, well, the following day, DeFeo uh, confessed saying that once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. He admitted that he'd taken a bath and had gotten dressed again and um, kind of detailed where he had discarded the crucial evidence such as the bloodstained clothes and the Marlin rifle and the cartridges before going to work as was his normal... Can you imagine that? You come home, you shoot, day your, right there. shoot yeah. your family, including your nine-year-old little brother, and then get dressed, go to work. Yeah. Well, during his trial, DeFeo pleaded insanity, saying that he killed his family in self-defense because he heard their voices 
plotting against him. Hmm. During the murders, neighbors declined hearing any gunshots to Fayo admitted to drugging his family before killing them. Later, he would claim that his sister Dawn killed their father. Yeah, let's just pass the buck right here. <laughs> and then their distraught mother killed all his siblings before he killed his mother. Uh. He stated that he took the blame because he, he was afraid to say anything negative about his mother to her father. Um, Michael Brigante Sr. and his father's uncle out of fear that they would kill him. Now, just so you there some clarification. They did, the family, the DeFeo family did have mob ties. So ma, the fact that he initially blamed Louis Fellini was not necessarily out of the realm of possibility because part of the reason that he was so afraid of his grandpa, Michael Brigante Sr., um, is that the, the, the Feo did have, they had mob ties. So he was a little nervous about that, but he also was crazy. Well, so what about all this paranormal stuff that's got to be related and tied into this story? Well, George and Kathy Lutz were newlyweds. Lutz. With, Lutz. Well, I say Lutz because I know there's a guy named Lutz. Anyway, <laughs> were, uh, they were a blended family. They purchased the DeFeo's house 13 months after the murders and lived there only 28 days when they had to abandon the home because of the terrifying things that they were witnessing inside the house. When they moved in, they asked a priest to come in and bless the house. In subsequent interviews, the priest and other people, several other people in fact, said that there were intensely cold spots throughout the house. The priest also claims that as he was sprinkling holy water in the sewing room on that very first day, he heard a deep voice behind him say, Get out. And then he felt a slap on his face. Mm. Mm, yeah, okay. So there were various other strange things that happened in the house, including one of the Lutz children <laughs> had his hand smashed in the window, completely crushing all the bones in his hand. However, Daniel Lutz claims that it healed completely moments later. So maybe it's not a bad poltergeist or whatever it was. It and, slammed his hand in the window. But it healed it almost immediately. Oh, my gosh. And by the time he got the kid to the hospital, he was fine. Yeah, okay. He was absolutely fine. <laughs> there were swarms of flies that would, like, gather around the house. When the Warrens uh, visited to do their investigation, they snapped a photo of a little boy with glowing eyes who wasn't actually there. You can see that this photo is on the internet. It's a very famous, well-known photo. And there's also pictures of uh, Nessie. (laughs) There are other, which out of all the cryptids, I think Nessie Nessie and Bigfoot probably are the most viable viable of actually Mm -hmm. being out there. Nessie, I think, is a really good possibility. Um, And they also smelled strange odors. Interestingly enough... There have been no paranormal activity since the Lutzes left. The house had changed owners at least five times since the killings. It sold again in February 2017 to an undisclosed owner for $605,000. Again, it was sold at a discount price, $200,000 less than the original asking price. I wouldn't want to live there anyway. No? No. It's on a lake. Yeah, but I'm fine. And it's big. I'm happy right here in Ohio. the home has uh, been renovated, and it now has a different look than at the time of the murders. Okay, so I just did a real quick Google search on the Lutz house, um, or, I mean, the... Is it on Zillow? It's not, not right now, because it's not for sale right now. The but White it looks, House is. I know. It, 
It looks completely different than um, the movie. Than the movie house. Well, they totally renovated it. Like they completely changed the way it looks from the outside. It's actually a really pretty house. I wonder if we got a new kitchen and bathrooms. For a good chance. Um, it was built originally in 1927, and it is a three-story waterfront home that has five bedrooms, three and a half bathrooms, and a basement. Um, when did we say it was last sold? In, in 2017, 2017, for six hundred and five thousand. Oh, it's taken a it's taken a nosedive because before that it was sold in two thousand ten for nine hundred and fifty thousand. So it's really depreciating in value. Okay, well, it's well, almost hundred years old now. Well, yeah, but those are that's. I mean, if you look at the pictures, it's actually a really beautiful home, and it's on a lake, and it's got a basement. <laughs> Alrighty. That's not creepy at all. All right, so another famous Warren case is that of haunted doll Annabelle. According to the Warrens, a student nurse was given the Raggedy Ann doll in 1970 <laughs> as a gift from her mother. Why are you laughing? Okay, can I tell a real quick story here yeah, without interrupting you? Sure. So when I was a young boy, my mom had she made some Raggedy Ann dolls, a Raggedy mm-hmm. Ann and Raggedy Andy. Yeah, and for my whatever reason, did. and for whatever reason, my mom would always she would sew a heart on any of these dolls she make, but she always Aww. sewed on the wrong side. Oh, but but that that's neither here nor there. But th- th- when you talk about Raggedy Ann, Raggedy Andy, I had a dog when I was a little boy, and her name was Chipper, and she was a very good dog. She was a good dog, but she, if those Raggedy Ann and Andy dolls were on the bed where my mom and dad slept. Chipper would rip those dolls to shreds. She wow. Would, she would Maybe she knew dolls. something about the Raggedy Ann dolls. No, but if, if my mom would put them over on the chair next to the bed, everything was fine. But don't let those dolls Oh, that's get weird. On the bed. No, she was just jealous. She didn't want those dolls on on the bed. Wow. Okay, enough of that. So my grandma also made me Raggedy Ann and Andy doll, and they were just perfectly normal dolls. But anyway, Annabelle, the Annabelle doll is not a perfectly normal doll. If you've seen the movie, she looks like this stereotypically creepy doll, like porcelain doll with the big eyes and the old-fashioned Victorian dress. The actual doll is just, it's a big Raggedy Ann doll. Like down in front of Pamela's house right now? Um, does she have a Raggedy Ann doll? No, now? not them, but in, in Gravedigger. Oh, yeah, something like that. That's how I picture the dressed yeah the, but this is just a raggedy and doll uh the nurse that received the doll was thrilled at first and for a little while it sat on the couch that the nurse shared with her roommate but then the doll seemed to move on her own she would start out on the couch and when the girls came home the doll would be in the bedroom with the door shut right exactly like nobody else was home to put her in there they started finding notes around the house that simply said, help me, on parchment paper, even though there wasn't any on the premises. One day, one of the girl's boyfriends was over at the house, and he heard a rustling noise in the bedroom. And some people say that, some accounts say that he had just woken up from a nap, and, and this is what happened. Um, some people say that he just heard a noise in the other room, and he went to investigate. And he found the doll laying face down on the floor, And then suddenly he felt a burning sensation on his chest, not in his chest, but on his chest. And he looked down and kind of opened up his shirt and he saw just bloody claw marks raked across his chest. Where was the girl's father? These are college age girls. Okay. They're not 
they live on their own. They're grown okay. women. I say girls. They're actually grown women. Okay. I was, th- I was picturing like high school girls. No, no. They're, maybe they're in- dad's just trying to scare somebody away. No, they're, they're, like, they're nurses. Like they're, they're okay. grown women. They're young women. Okay. Sorry. Shouldn't say girls. Young women. Um, they held a seance with a medium who told them that d- this is so c- crazy not. Uh, the medium told them that the doll was inhabited by the spirit of a seven-year-old girl named Annabelle, whose body had been found years earlier on the ground where their apartment was built. The medium said the spirit was benevolent and just wanted to be loved and cared for. So the girl, the women allowed her to take up permanent residence in the doll. That was a big mistake. Because... No joke. According to the Warrens, and this is a direct quote... Spirits do not possess inanimate objects like houses or toys. They possess people. An inhuman spirit can attach itself to a place or object, and this is what occurred in the Annabelle case. This spirit manipulated the doll and created the illusion of it being alive in order to get recognition. Truly, the spirit was not looking to stay attached to the doll. It was looking to possess a human host. Okay, so just like we were talking last week about Dracula... And all the lore that's come with Dracula. Mm -hmm. How did they discover this stuff? How did they know that this can happen and only to an inanimate object? I think it was just from getting to know the people that lived in the haunted houses that Ed painted. You know, we mentioned earlier in the show that they... Yeah, essentially. um, Just documenting and coming at it from almost a scientific standpoint of we're going to document... Uh, these cases and see if there are any things that are in common among different types of spiritual activity and residents of the houses and what you know what objects and things like that so i i would assume that that's how they figured it out i remain a skeptic i know you will forever remain a skeptic so ed and lorraine took the doll with them and had a priest come to exercise and consecrate the house Now, after the exorcism of the nurse's apartment, the Warrens buckled Annabelle into the back seat of their car and vowed not to take the highway in case she had some kind of accident causing power over them and their vehicle. Put a diaper on her. However. Oh, not that kind of accident. No. However, even the safer back roads proved too risky for the couple. On their way home, Lorraine claimed that the brakes either stalled or failed several times, resulting in several near-disastrous crashes. She claimed that as soon as Ed pulled holy water from his bag and doused the doll with it, the problem with the brakes disappeared, and everything worked fine. And of course, no witnesses but Ed and Lorraine. Well, upon arriving home, Ed and Lorraine placed the doll in Ed's study, And there, they reported that the doll levitated and moved about the house. And even when placed in the locked office in an outer building... I'd have put that thing in another county. The Warrens claimed that she would turn up later inside the house. Now, eventually, the Warrens had a specially made wood and glass case made for the doll, which has the Lord's Prayer and St. Michael's Prayer etched on it. And Ed would also regularly say a binding prayer over the case, ensuring that the doll was nice and trapped. However, apparently, the spirit inside the doll can still do its thing. Because once, a priest who was visiting the Warrens Museum picked up Annabelle and discounted her demonic abilities. And Ed warned the priest about mocking Annabelle's demonic power, but the young priest laughed him off 
And on the way home, he was involved in a near-fatal crash that totaled his new car. He claimed to have seen Annabelle in his rearview mirror just before the accident. You're scowling at me. Yeah, well. Um, years later... Well, I'm just thinking how to get out of that case that it was trapped in. It was a vision. He saw a vision of it. So she can project these things. I Maybe. Years later, another visitor tapped on the glass of the Annabelle doll's case and laughed at how silly people were to believe in her. That would have been me. And on his way home, he reportedly lost control of his motorcycle and crashed headlong into a tree. He was killed instantly, and his girlfriend just barely survived. She claimed that at the time of the accident, the couple had been laughing about the Annabelle doll. So... You can laugh all you want to about her as long as I am not with you because I believe in this stuff and I don't want to go headlong into a tree on the way home from visiting the Warrens Museum. I hydroplaned a little bit on the way to work this morning, but I was not thinking about Annabelle. Okay. Well, you didn't even know about Annabelle back then. So also, interestingly, um, a couple years ago, somebody reported that Annabelle had been lost, that somehow somebody had gotten her out of the case and that she had escaped, and uh, kind of the paranormal community was a little bit in in an uproar because she's very well-known in certain circles. Uh, And it it turns out the actual story had started in, in China in a Chinese newspaper, and they had been reporting on a pop star named Annabelle and how she had gone missing. And somewhere along the line, the AP got the translation mixed up and it was all just a big mess. And Annabelle was always in her case the entire time. Okay. My mind is just wandering and drifting. So I got to do another PSA right now. Okay. And then we'll get back to the story. Oh my gosh. So I drive a Jeep Wrangler and it's got 35 inch tires. And if it's raining, slow down because these tires will just ride up on the puddles of water and it, it, it can be dangerous for hydroplaning. Okay. So can I, can I continue now? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> this is different. You give me the, the, the symbol to, to move on. I know you're me. just ranting about nothing. Okay. No, that's important. Oh my gosh. Get the, on with your life. The Warrens. <laughs> don't just operate in the United States. In the late 70s, they made their way to London to the town of Enfield. In 1977, single mom Peggy Hogson moved with her four children into a council house. In August, her 11- and 13-year-old daughters started hearing knockings on the walls of the house. Notice their ages, 11 and 13. 13, right. I'm thinking of about Salem witch trials, too. Hmm. The family also alleges that they saw furniture move on its own, heard disembodied voices, and saw toys being thrown and people levitating. Multiple people, including police officers, bobbies, I guess you would call them, <laughs> and neighbors also, <coughs> excuse me, also saw the activity. In one case, the 11-year-old girl spoke with the voice of former and deceased resident Bill Wilkins saying... Ooh, ooh, can I say it? Yeah, go ahead. Just before I died, I went blind, and then I had an hemorrhage, and I fell asleep, and I died in the chair in the corner downstairs. All right. (laughs) That voice was caught on tape. (laughs) By any chance, were you able to... uh... I was not. I, you were, you I did not. I was not okay. able to. I didn't have the time to look okay. and find it. 
I'm sorry. The police, maybe if we find it, we can put it on um, on our Facebook page. Sure. Okay. The police couldn't do anything because no crime had been committed. So Peggy called the press. Mm, Daily, yes, Daily obviously. Ma- yeah, Daily Mirror photographer Graham Morris, who visited the house, says, It was chaos. Things started flying around. People were screaming. Some of the events were captured on camera, and the images are disturbing. One shows 11-year-old Janet apparently being thrown across the room, while in others, her face is distorted in pain. The BBC went to the house, but the crew found um, the metal components and their tape equipment had been twisted, and the recordings were erased. Ed Warren had this to say about the infield poltergeist. You couldn't record the dangerous, threatening atmosphere inside the little house, but you could film the levitations, teleportations, and dematerializations of people and objects that were happening there, not to mention the many hundreds of hours of tape recordings made of these spirit voices speaking out loud in the rooms. Uh, Could you imagine? You probably couldn't ever sleep. No. Between the spirits yelling at you all the time and furniture flying around, getting whacked in the face with toys. like you, And they may have had a dog that starts barking at right, you in the morning right? to go out and pee. Or just barking at the ghosts. Yeah. Most of the paranormal activities seem to be centered around Janet, who in interviews as an adult said that she felt used by a force that nobody understands. I really don't like to think about it too much. I'm not sure the poltergeist was truly evil. It was almost as if it wanted to be a part of our family. It didn't want to hurt us. It died there and wanted just wanted to be at rest. The only way it could communicate was through me and my sister. Now, it's interesting. In some of the research that I managed to do on, on Janet, she's an adult. She's fine. Like, she's, you know, she was 11 in the 70s, so she's, you know, 60s probably. Um, and... She just, she seems very, she says that she doesn't like to think about it, but she also has given several interviews. We'll just say that. Well, later residents haven't reported seeing anything weird, but at least one uh, has said that she feels watched a lot. So apparently they don't have any teenage daughters. (laughs) And now for the most outrageous of the Warren's famous cases. In 1986, Alan and... Carmen Schnedecker moved into a rental house in Southington, Connecticut with their daughter and three young sons, one of whom had Hodgkin's lymphoma. The family had moved to be closer to a hospital that could provide treatment for the boy. While exploring their new home, I guess I might have to apologize about the the teenage daughter thing here. (laughs) Carmen, Carmen discovered mortuary tools in the basement and discovered that their new home had once been a funeral parlor alleging the couple had turned the room that used to be the embalming station into their son's bedroom. Yeah, so your your kid has cancer. Let's turn the embalming room into his bedroom. Yay! It wasn't long before Carmen began to notice that things were missing around the house. The kids started to see strange things in their home, and then the oldest son, the one with lymphoma, had a massive personality shift. Mop water turned blood red. The dishes would put themselves away. That's not bad. (laughs) Lights would turn on and off without bulbs, and there was a scent of rotting flesh permeating through the house, permeating through the house. But the worst part of the several members of the Snedecker family reported 
being raped and sodomized by unseen entities. The Warrens moved in for several weeks until they experienced some of the phenomena that had been that the family had been reporting. During their time in the house, they claimed to have seen firsthand the damage the demons in the home could inflict, with many members being slapped and beaten, pushed and slammed into the floor. Investigation into the history of the house supposedly revealed that one of the undertakers at the funeral home was found guilty of necrophilia, which fed fuel to the fire. It got to be to the point that the Warrens deemed it necessary for, for a full-scale exorcism of the property, after which the house was judged cleared by none other than the Warrens. And, of course, you all probably know this story. Do you want to tell the story of Matthias when we were watching this movie? This is the haunting uh, in you, Connecticut you, story. Yeah, you've, you've already told that one, but go ahead. Oh, have I told this one on the, sh- on yeah, the show? Yeah, okay, ahead. well, never mind then. Okay, so in their later years... Uh, Like I mentioned, the Warrens turned their home into a museum of the paranormal. And in addition to Annabelle, the museum houses a brick from the Borley Rectory, which is... I would be bringing any of that crap into our house. Well, they... I'm not taking chances. They bless it, it. and they have priests come and do sacrificial rites and holy stuff to it. Um, So they have a brick from the Borley Rectory, which is the most haunted building in the U.K., They have uh, something called the Pearls of Death, which are said to strangle anyone who wears them, and several artifacts from the Conjuring stories, including the Perrin's music box and a demon-possessed toy monkey. Now, I do want to mention the Perrin's. Um, They were part of the original, I think the original Conjuring movie. So the story goes that when the Perrin family moved into their Rhode Island farmhouse in 1971, Weird things started happening. Ed and Lorraine went and visited. They said that the haunting was due to the spirit of a woman named Bathsheba Sherman. And years later now, the new owners claim that she's still in the house. And they are doing a haunted live stream in the Conjuring house. Well, that's probably pretty popular right now with COVID because everyone's Zooming. Yes, so if you, want, if you want to watch, now they're also doing, the last time they tried to do an exorcism, or not an exorcism, a seance in this house, it nearly ended with somebody dying. I mean, it was super intense. People getting thrown into the wall, all kind of stuff. But they are inviting a medium in to do a seance on Halloween night in the Conjuring house. If you are interested, you can just Google um, or you can go to decider.com and find out a little bit. That's where I heard about it. If you want to watch it, um, they will live stream it. And it is not free. It does cost some money. Uh, but I think it's only like five bucks. So um, I, I bet Harry Houdini would uh, debunk this. Maybe, um, or he would I try. But if you want to watch it, it's on Halloween night. You can go check it out. Just Google it. I'm sure you can find it. Five bucks you get access to the live stream and you can watch the events unfold in the parent household. So that's Saturday night. Yes, sir. Uh, so the, and I, I would think that there's unlimited tickets because it's just a live stream. Like they don't have to actually fit anybody in their house. Um, in, the, in the Warren's Museum also, ha- they have some artifacts that were supposedly used in satanic rituals, including shadow dolls and the tombstones of children who were allegedly sacrificed. Now, Ed Warren died in 2006 after a long battle with heart issues. In 2001, he got up to let the cat in at 2 a.m. and just yep. collapsed. Yep. It's those pets, pets look at you every time. 
He just collapsed, and doctors restarted his heart, but he was in a coma for 11 weeks, and he never regained speech. Um, and he held on for about five more years, but just was not in a, in, in a great state. Mm. Wife Lorraine continued to work in the paranormal field, traveling and doing speaking engagements while also making cameos in several films based on her cases and working as a consultant for shows like Paranormal State. If you ever saw that show, she was on there a lot. She died in April of last year at the age of 92. And as we mentioned, they have one daughter named Judy who now runs the family museum with her husband, Tony. She looks just like her mom, too. It's kind of Judy finally got into it. Nope, nope. She just, she knows that these things are dangerous and she doesn't want them distributed back out. She said it's good that they're all in one place. So I'm just going to run the family museum. And I tried to see what she does for a living she runs a family museum. I have no idea if she does anything else, but she she I couldn't find anything about it. Um, but she lives with her husband, Tony. She has no interest in following in her parents' footsteps, but she does purport to see mementos from her mom on a regular basis. Like, there'll just be little things, butterflies, and just little weird things that weren't there before that show up out of nowhere. So what they call this in The Shining, the uh, not the gift. The, the sight? No, no, I don't the, remember what they called it. It, it was the... Um, the Shining. They called it The Shining. Yeah. That's what it was. No, that's what the movie oh, is named okay, after. The it's Shining. The Shining. Yeah. Yeah, so I wonder if she has a Shining. She's been asked about that, if it is passed on from mother to daughter, and she said that there have, she has had premonitions of things, but she just kind of keeps them to herself. Like, she doesn't want to be involved in this world at all, but she, she gives one, um, she refused to name names. Uh, in this interview, but she did say that there was one time that she knew she just had a premonition at the beginning of the week that a perfectly healthy family member was going to be dead by the end of the week, and sure enough, well, you've it had, happened. You've had premonitions, I, but mine don't come true. <laughs> my my most my most well known premonition <laughs> was what? How old was it? it was thirty thirty? Was it when I was turning thirty seven? Yeah, something like that. I think it was when I was turning 37. I just really didn't ever think that I was going to live to see 37. For some reason, I've just always had it in my mind that I was going to die in a car crash before that. Like, my entire life, I just unra- irrationally thought that. And 37 came and went. I wonder if there's I'm anything like, that just planted that in your mind subconsciously. I don't know. I, don't I was know. in a really semi-violent car crash when I was little. Uh, and so it could be that... That traumatized me and just, I don't know, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. The so, human mind can really do some strange things. It really can. I know, and I, I fully believe in the paranormal. I've had things happen to me that I have no other explanation for um, and very unsettling and frightening things, things that I know without a doubt that I have seen and things that have absolutely 100% happened to me, um, both good and bad. And so I, I absolutely believe that there are things and forces at work beyond what we can see. So I'll be sleeping in the basement tonight, just That's in case. Literally the worst place that you can sleep in a horror movie. Okay, so why is it during a horror movie? <laughs> it's like it's, that commercial. Let's hide behind like, the chainsaw. Let's hide behind the. Why don't we get, get in the running car? Well, yeah, let's get in the running car. No, no let's stupid. hide behind. And last night, the movie that we were watching, mm. those two movies, it was the exact same thing. Why did this kid keep watched, running in 
and put himself where there was no we way watched- to get when he could have <laughs> run down the street and gotten away. <laughs> we watched The Babysitter last night. Both of them. Babysitter and Killer Queen. And you say it like it was annoying, but you liked them. You laughed just as much as I did. You thought it was funny, too. Oh, yeah, it was funny, but... If I something thought they like were that good. happens. Well, yeah, that's the, kind of the whole point of it, too, is like it was so ridiculous and over the top. I, it was meant to be like that. But uh, if you haven't seen the Babysitter movies, the second one is meh, but the first one is is really good. You should check it out. But there is a twist at the end of the second one. There is. There's a but little bit more of the backstory in the second one yeah, but, um, yeah. that, that I guess would be helpful to know, but it's really... You'll figure it it's out unnecessary. if you watch the second movie. Yeah, the second movie didn't need to be made, but... I enjoyed it. Isn't that the story with most sequels, though? They don't really need to be made. Anyway. Anyway, so that's that's all we've got for Ed and Lorraine Warren. Love them or hate them, whether you believe them or not, they certainly have made an impact on the paranormal and ghost hunting and demonology communities. Well, I guess to each his own on this one. I mean, it is an, an interesting story, and they do, they have been able to insert themselves into a lot of this activity mm. and reports whether whether it's true or not they have been able to insert themselves into it and i'll, I'll say perpetuate it yeah is that a fair way to- i would be really curious to go to the museum and see like the uh, real no, annabelle doll no, and see no, some of the things nope. <laughs> no you i don't, I don't believe in it but why take a chance there's um what's that doll down in florida that uh, is supposedly like super haunted. It's the male version of Annabelle. What is his name? Fred, Couldn't Frank, t- something like that. Couldn't tell you. Yeah, there's one down in Florida too that was that's really super haunted. All right. So anyway. So that's about it for Spooky October. We do have, we are going to be releasing an episode on Halloween. It's going to be kind of a bridge episode um, between Spooky October and kind of what's coming next. Uh, it is real life horror. I mean, there is no doubt that this stuff in our Halloween episode happened, and it is really a deep dive look into... How terrible and how, how horrible you... We don't need we pretend don't need, stories. Yeah. When I say pretend, we don't need yeah, this we don't, type of paranormal we don't to need say paranormal. there is horror in the world out there. Right. So uh, we intentionally kind of with talking about, with our, our theme this year being spooky people uh, for Spooky October... Honestly, I don't think that there is much deeper, darker, more awful. Spoiler: When someone things. is accused of making lampshades with human skin, yeah, and it's it it happened. So yeah, I don't. There there are few aside from actual demons. There are few forces I think that are darker than humanity. Yeah, people can be pretty evil. Yes. And we'll get into that on Halloween. All right. So it is dark. It is rainy. And we're going to get more rain. So again, let me just mention one more time. You want to throw out the suicide hotline? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw out again? that suicide hotline okay. number again. 1-800-273-8255. And again, if you find yourself struggling or need some help, give it a call. Call a friend and talk. There's there's a lot of things going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are depressed with a lot of just, things. With, with, with being locked up with all the election stuff that's going <sighs> on. And one just, more week, guys, you can yeah, do it. Yeah, and so get get some help if you need it. If you want to write to us, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, um, an hour of your life. You can find us on Instagram, an hour of your life. 
Twitter, A Lost Hour, and you can write to us at Gmail, um, A Lost Hour at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and we can be found, the podcast can be found on all the platforms. So if you're listening to us, you, you're already on a platform, but help us out and share it. Tell a friend, and a friend says, well, where can I find them? You can say everywhere. They're, they're on all the major platforms. And I think we mentioned two weeks ago, even now on iHeartRadio. Yeah. You can go to, we don't have one down here. You can go. You can tell your Alexa, say, Alexa, play the latest episode of An Hour of Your Life. And she'll do it. She will. Yep. And so will Siri. Yep. If you, if you ask Siri we're to do Google that, Podcasts, they're so nice. We're on Stitcher, yep. Spotify, all the things. So help us out. Share us. Tell a friend. Say, hey, there's this really neat podcast. They're all need so to be great. To. Yeah. And, um, right. Yeah. So, and write us a review, but only if you're going to leave us a good review, please. Yeah. And uh, because it gets tracked and we, we, we pay attention to stuff like that. We do. So, anyway, anything else, Kim? Um, I don't think so. Best of luck to all you trick or treaters out there. Um, Stay safe. If you are of. Of the younger generation, don't forget to pay your parents' candy tax. They provide a roof over your head and food in your belly, so they get the first crack at your candy. It's just the way it goes. And parents, be responsible as those kids come in. You should check their candy. Anything questionable, you should probably pull it and eat that yourself. But also, don't be that jerk parent that takes all the good stuff. (laughs) Don't do that. All right. All right, anyway. So, from our studios in... Should I say Bellbrook or Sugar Creek Township? Uh, whatever. So, from our studios in Sugar Creek Township. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. sources this week. They include Occult World, Mental Floss, Wikipedia, Biography, History versus Hollywood, AllThat'sInteresting.com, Dread Central, The Daily Mail, The Telegraph, and ComicBook.com.